When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and today, with the MLS regular season coming to a close, or soon to come to a close, we're handing out some season superlatives from players, clubs, and coaches. And by we, I mean primarily my two co-hosts. I'm going to be doing a lot of silent uh, thinking and listening, I think, on this episode. From somewhere in or around New York, for now, it's Mr. David Goss. Hello, David. Concrete jungle, where dreams are. <laughs> uh, David, to continue a conversation we had at the beginning of our pre-show chat, how often do you think about the Roman Empire, since that, since that seems to be an ever-present fixture on the show these days? So, weirdly, not that much for someone who mm-hmm. accidentally got a history major by taking all history electives in college, but... <laughs> the other trend that I've seen is Googling populations of cities uh-huh. five times a day. Google <laughs> mapping what? places or Googling populations of cities. That's like, I mean, 365 times a year wouldn't even get close. So if you're doing math like that, it's every day, multiple times. Okay. So you are familiar with, with that trend of how often do you think about the Roman yeah. Empire then? And if you were giving a numerical answer, though, is it like once a month? Is it every couple of weeks? Where are we at, Gus? Probably every couple of weeks. I'd say there are other empires that I probably think about more. Interesting. Yeah. And why are you looking up city populations? We are going to talk about soccer, but you I'm immediately sidetracked by fascinating. You uh, have to Jamie know how big a place is and where it is and what it's located near. Do like, you? <laughs> yeah, because I don't like when people are like, oh, well, like, yeah, like everyone lives in Austin. And you're like, no. Look up the population. <laughs> Not everyone lives in Austin. Everyone lives in San Antonio. You didn't know that until you looked it up. We talking metro population? We talking well, the city it depends. itself? Then that's another conversation you're having. That's <laughs> yeah. another thing you have to look up. Welcome to Population Chat here on the Total Soccer Show. I'm sure everyone is loving this. Joe Lowry, are you more likely to think about the Roman Empire or city populations on a daily basis? Also, weirdly, city populations, but I'm not going to lie and say that I think about either one very often. I'm definitely not always contemplating the Roman Empire, except for when I am Mm -hmm. in the heart of what was, at one point in time, the Roman Empire. Gus, 1.452 million people in San Antonio. It's a big city, man. It's it's bigger than I would have thought. You're absolutely right. That's where the action is. Changed your day. (laughs) I regret going down this road immediately, but I'm glad we did to learn about city populations uh, and that I think about the Roman Empire more than either of you, but you both think about populations more than I do. Mine is usually just like I look at indoor plumbing and think, man. The Romans had some good ideas, I gotta say. Uh, Joe, to the MLS superlative aspect of this episode, I believe this was your brainchild. Why did you feel like it was the time to start handing out some awards with three, four-ish games to go in the season? Before yeah. Joe answers <laughs> yeah. this question, oh boy. the only thing that would make this podcast perfect is if 
a pipe burst in the <laughs> room apartment that Joe is in right now to show that the plumbing was not effective. I mean, according to Ryan Bailey, it is still the same plumbing from the Roman Empire to today. So in that way, I guess it would have held up uh, for a good long while. Joe, how is the plumbing over there? Uh, it seems to be doing okay so far. All I think right. Ryan would say that it is somehow filled with secondhand smoke and all of the <laughs> forms that he had to fill out to get through Italian bureaucracy. That checks out. Um, so far, so good, though, on my end, at least at least in this little room that I'm recording in with blankets draped all around me. Superlatives, uh, it, it felt right. I'm the first person to ever think of this concept. I don't think anybody mm-hmm. else has ever done this before in any way. We're winding down to the end of the regular season. I think we have a pretty good handle on who's going to come out ahead in a lot of these different awards categories or even season narratives. And so as we march towards the playoffs, it felt like it was a good time to dive into some of those things before we all get overtaken by which team is going to finish ninth in the Eastern Conference or which team is going to finish eighth in the Western Conference. Maybe this is a little bit of a lull before we get all the way into the playoff chat. Uh, And Gus, have you all been doing any superlative work over there on, on Extra Time as yet? No, we're not this creative. Yeah. But I can guarantee you this. Weeby's going to listen to it, and he's going (laughs) to set it up for next week. Yeah. He's going to make nine jokes about how we're not first, or we are first, whichever way he chooses to go. Oh, I I was excited to do this specifically to be able to then text him and be like, hey, man, uh, you might want to get on some extra time uh, conversations about superlatives, because, like, no big deal. We're already doing it. But maybe I won't do that. Well, we'd have to do it after we do 47 minutes about Messi (laughs) each episode. I do wonder how much he's going to come you up laugh on this episode. Because you think it's true. Uh, yes, that is correct. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just you, man. It's every outlet. What do we think Messi had for breakfast today? Not even what did he have. We're going to speculate on what he might have had and how that might influence his play on the day. Uh, actually, on that note, we do have a U.S. Open Cup tomorrow. We're recording this Tuesday morning. For both of you, are you all more excited about Joe? I'll come to you first. Are you more excited about the U.S. Open Cup at 8.30 p.m. or the Campiones Cup at 11 p.m. that same evening? Uh, that would be LAFC versus Tigres in the Campiones Cup. Uh, neither one of these is going to be particularly convenient for you from a viewing schedule perspective. Sure. U.S. Open <laughs> Cup, 8.30 p.m. Inter-Miami versus Houston Dynamo. Yeah, U.S. Open Cup by the longest of miles. Uh, <laughs> I, I honestly, I did not know that the Campiones Cup still existed. I had kind of forgotten about that. I thought we had soaked up all of the MLS Liga Mekis crossover in Leagues Cup. Do we really need Campeones Cup? I, maybe, maybe not. Probably not. I'm going to say we don't. <laughs> so U.S. Open Cup, even though folks had an Inter-Miami training this morning, which is late afternoon for me, and I don't know what time 11 p.m. or 8.30 p.m. Eastern time is for me on the other side of the Atlantic, people are saying that Messi and Jordi Alba are not training today for Inter-Miami, which does not paint a very positive picture of who we're going to see on the field for them against Houston. So that does not get down a peg or two. But credit to CBS. They're going all out with the coverage, and I love that. I am still excited for that game. I'll probably watch it back Thursday morning. So I'm going to go Open Cup. If if there's no Campeones Cup, then the two Campeones of Mexico, who then obviously face off in the Campeón de Campeón, <laughs> to face the MLS champion, how will you know who the Campeón de Campeón de Campeón of Campeón is? It's a great um, question, guys. It's a phenomenal question. You know, it's one, like that, one, that, one that had to be asked, one that had to be asked, but I'm going to argue one that doesn't have to be answered. Have we officially reached the point in the season when David Goss actively does not like talking about Major League Soccer anymore? Is that where we are right now? No, I'm actually going to go other side, which is both of the answers were incorrect. I reject the premise of the question. Uh-huh. The true answer on Wednesday night is Colorado Rapids hosting the Vancouver Whitecaps at 9.30 p.m. Eastern time on Wednesday night. I don't believe you. 
I have a feeling you're going to be watching uh, the U.S. Open Cup, my friend. No, I'm going to be watching <laughs> Kevin Cabral and Ralph Preso in front of 400 people face off against the Vancouver Whitecaps. <laughs> Winning. Well, congratulations to you. I look forward to you uh, watching that and giving us big and lengthy updates about that one. But let's get to some of these superlatives. I don't know if any Colorado Rapids players will be on the short list or the finalists for best player. Uh, Joe, why don't you start us off? Who is your nominee for best player of the season? Yeah, so the the highest quality player is very obvious, and it is Leo Messi. He is, oh, is the it? best player in the entire world, and he is playing in Major League Soccer. Still has not played that much in Major League Soccer, though, and so I'm going to zoom out and look at the player who I think is is very clearly the MVP front runner as things stand right now, and I don't expect that to change between now and the end of the season. Lucho Acosta. I've got some runners up because I figured Goss and I are going to have some overlap. And Taylor, I don't know if you came up with anything for these categories or if you're just controlling the chaos. But I think there will be a lot of overlap. (laughs) Okay, there it is. For things as we go through. So I have some other options. But Lucho Acosta, I mean, scored this ridiculous solo goal over the weekend, basically coast to coast. Tied for the league lead in goals of 15 as a number 10 in a team that plays with two strikers ahead of him. He is still tied for the league leading goals with 15. Third in assists this year in Major League Soccer right now with nine. Fifth in... he's. You can run through the statistical categories, right? He's been amazing as FC Cincinnati's number 10. He is the piece that makes the attack tick. He is so, so, so good. DC United fans are probably watching and, and wishing that things could have gone differently for them. Maybe even in Luis Enrique on the other side of the Atlantic wishing things that had gone differently. Either way, Lucho Acosta has been the best player in Major League Soccer this year. Goss, would you agree or disagree with that one? I agree with that one, and I'm going to vote Lucho Acosta as of now for MVP, and I, I think most likely by the time we get to the end of the season, he will win, and I think it, by an overwhelming vote. Um, But we put down best player, and I do think Lucho has been the player that you've turned on, and he's done incredible things, and he's carried his team. And I think part of the overlap for me and Joe is going to be FC Cincinnati is so clearly better than everyone else this year. Um, But Obino Noboto deserves a conversation there. And this coming to best player is, you know, attacking players are always going to win trophies, like win awards. That's what we watch. I think Noboto is so good at his position and he has been so good this year um, that he would be the other person outside of a messy convo that I would put into that. Um, But Ilucho Acosta still, what he does for the team, when you watch the first half of the season, there's a large stretch pre, I mean, Bupenza still hasn't even really hit, of games where they were ties or losses that Lucho just carried them to a better result on just pure quality and moments of brilliance in which he broke down defenses that he shouldn't have and made plays that he shouldn't have. So I, I agree with Joe overall. Is is Gas is Nuoboto going to be second in your MVP voting as things stand right now? No, because I'm a sheep. And I okay. can't, <laughs> right. I can't vote a demon like that. It's also tough because his team, right? Like you're not, you're not going to vote multiple players on the same team. Sure. Um, it, it's going to come down, I think, to the other chance creators in MLS right now. So like Tiago Almada is going to be yeah. high up there. He's on the list. Yeah. Um, Hani Mukhtar is going to be high up there, depending on where Nashville finishes. There's a couple of guys like that. There's one name though that I'm I'm surprised hasn't come up yet, and so I'm going to bring him up. Who I think will finish top three in the MVP voting. He's not an outfield player. Yeah, it's Roman Berkey. He's been the best goalkeeper in Major League Soccer this year. 
uh, at the bird's eye view kind of level. He saved 9.2 goals more than expected, according to FB Ref, which is a lot of goals. He has been the, the biggest factor, the single biggest factor that has helped St. Louis City basically win the Western Conference. Things aren't wrapped up for them just yet, but it seems like they're going to win the West. They are on pace right now to finish with more points than any team in expansion history for Major League Soccer. They'll beat LAFC's record from, what was that, 2017, if things continue on as they are right now. But Roman Berkey has been the biggest reason as to why they're in the position they're in. Some of their underlying numbers are, are not good, right? They have given up chances. They are giving up shots from bad areas. But Roman Berkey has erased basically all of that stuff. Because St. Louis are so high up the table, we don't usually hear goalkeepers in these kinds of conversations. But because of the power of their narrative and the fact that they are top of the West right now, and Berkey has been the best player on that team, and again, the, the single biggest difference maker, he is is right now second on my list after Lucho, and then I'd, I'd probably go Almada after that. A couple follow-ups there. Number one, I believe Lucho Acosta, still not a U.S. citizen, but that is in the works uh, if and when that does happen, are, are we calling him into the U.S. right away, or at 29, are we not as interested in him uh, right away? I'm I'm right. calling him right away, Gus. Yeah, at 29, you're not waiting for anything, and there I think go. when you look at the national team, there's a lack of players in that age group. Mm-hmm. Now he doesn't have national team experience, but he's a different style player than anyone that's in the pool, really. And so if we're bringing him in from what you all have seen from Cincinnati this season, he's been their captain, obviously, statistical leader, scoring goals, coast to coast, all that good stuff. How important has he been in the atmosphere of that team, to your understanding, or the vibes of that team, or how well they have gelled or not gelled? Because uh, it does seem to me like that has been a an aspect of his game that has developed or his leadership has developed in his time with FC Cincinnati. I'm wondering if you all have any thoughts one way or the other. Yeah, I think what from what I've heard is he is one of the leaders in that group. You look at a team that was, one, flipped over their style, and he took that on and I think was one of the people that helped sort of push the team to feel comfortable playing the way Pat Noonan wanted, and it kind of looked like he would be the one that would be least comfortable with it, and he's sort of taken it on. So I think that shows, as you talked about, that growth coming from D.C. of adjusting to what's around him. And you look at a pretty young team and a team with a lack of experience and winning moments, and he's been the one that's carried them. So I think one of the things we've seen is he's steadied. He used to be very temperamental as a player, where when he felt good, he was unplayable for the defense. And when he felt bad, he was unplayable for his team. And now he's a player that I think keeps the level really well. And when you look at that group, he's the one I think that has turned that whole team into that, which is like they don't get too high. They don't get too low. Matt Miazga's off doing his own things, but I don't think it sucks the rest of the team into his craziness because I think Lucho... And then they brought in, obviously, Nobodo. But you look at this team, right? You've got a a kid in goal who would have just graduated from college. Vasquez had very few pro minutes as your center forward up top. You've got Barrial, who's maybe your other all-star, who's just 23, I think, at this point, and doesn't have a ton of experience. Like This is a really young team, and Acosta's been the leader from day one since Pat Noonan got there. Uh, So looking at the teams themselves, if we move to the second category, the best team of the season, my assumption is that there are basically two candidates here, uh, FC Cincinnati, who are leading the Supporter Shield race. We've talked about them a little bit already. And then uh, St. Louis, who Joe mentioned uh, briefly, top of the West, but in their inaugural season, their expansion season for them to be where they are, being the sort of disruptors they have been, bucking conventional wisdom. I was confident that Roman Berkey signing and then playing for... 
St. Louis City SC2 uh, was going to be a mistake. And yet here we are with him being uh, one of Joe's shortlist candidates for player of the year. Goss, who are you putting as your team of the season? I'm going to put FC Cincinnati as great as what St. Louis has done. We have other categories that they will hit. Um, I think what I mentioned at the beginning is like this team is so clearly better than everyone else. They are nine points up on second place in the supporter shield at this point. Um, they're on pace at this time to hit around 70. They were a few weeks ago on pace to break the points record, but even 70 puts you in a conversation with the great teams in MLS, not just a supporter shield winner, not just uh, the best team of a group that puts you back into the TFC Atlanta United's um, how am I blanking up? New England revolution, those teams and that, I think, is fair for the way this team has played this season, which is, as I said, not too high, not too low. They've won in different ways. Last year, they started out the year in these blowout victories because they couldn't defend. This year, we've seen a team that wins 1-0 fairly consistently or wins by one goal fairly consistently. They've managed the sale and lack of a presence up top from Brenner through to now Bupenza. Um, they've brought in young center backs that have been really good for them. They've rotated at the wing back positions and they have a goalkeeper in Roman Celentano that's going to be as young as any winning, <clears throat> excuse me, that's going to be as young as any winning goalkeeper in MLS history. So what they've done overall, their depth, their commitment to their style, but also their ability to win in, in special moments, they, to me, stand so far above everyone else this year. Yep. I would I would read 10 all of that stuff, retweet all that stuff from Goss. This has been a weird year in Major League Soccer, right? Because it feels like so many teams are tripping over themselves, teams that you feel like have the quality to be in these kinds of conversations, right? I think about in the Western Conference, LAFC, they make it to the CCL final. They win MLS Cup last year. They have so much talent. The quality is there for them to be a Supporter Shield winning team. And yet they're sitting on 45 points through 30 games, which is not bad, but it is not as good as their talent level. Seattle, they've dealt with injuries this year. They've been without Christian Roldan. They've been without Raul Rui Diaz. It feels like they're heading into a, a critical offseason for them as they transition from one era to the next, at least in some way. Like Who who are these other teams that are really in the conversation? St. Louis, I, I don't think, is at that level, even though what they've done this year has been incredible. It has been Cincinnati. It's like last year we had LAFC in the West and Philly in the East, and it felt like there were two really, really strong teams uh, in, in the past, we've had really high-quality teams in both conferences. This year, it feels to me like it's, it's Cincinnati, and then there's a little bit of a gap, and then probably a few of the other teams, kind of two through five in the Eastern Conference, and then maybe even a small gap, and then you're looking at the Western Conference teams. Yeah, I think in the past, you've had the conference leaders and then a Seattle that you trust, and that right. has played well in stretches, and or a Portland Timbers, right? Those are like two obvious ones that we've had over the last 10 years that are always there. Or you have an Atlanta, which maybe hadn't peaked, but had the quality of players that if they got into the playoffs, you trust them. There are way less of those teams, and all of those teams in those conversations are so far below FC Cincinnati over the course of the regular season that it's like two different convos. Uh, important sub-question follow-up. Best goalkeeper named Roman in the league this season? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nailed That's a it. great poll, Taylor. I'd never considered that that Celentano and Bricky have the same name. 
Um, I will be going with Roman Berkey, though. But really, credit to you, Taylor. I, I want ten, you to be okay. named Roman so you can win that category. I like that Joe's in Rome, so he called it 10 instead of X, because he obviously just walks around <laughs> speaking in Roman humor. We just, we just say re-10 now, guys. Instead of retweet, we just say re-10. That's what we do. We, we've TSS. talked about this before. It was especially confusing when Joe kept talking about Malcolm 10, and no one really understood what he was talking about. But eventually, we got there, and it all made sense. Uh, so, okay, best best goalkeeper Joe named Googles Roman. Malcolm X once a day, so that was a good one for him. <laughs> That is one of the ones that's on his list for sure. Yeah. Uh, Roman Berkey, uh, best goalkeeper, best team, FC Cincinnati, best player, Lucho Acosta. We've got many more superlatives still to come. Back soon with those. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Welcome back to the Total Soccer Show. We're doing some MLS superlatives for the 2023 season. Uh, the next category would be best transfer. We've sort of amended this, or I amended this, because I feel like the answer is Lionel Messi. Like, there have probably been other, uh, maybe not bigger signings, but other maybe more impactful signings or low-key signings that have had a huge impact. But in terms of a player coming in, changing the conversation, changing the coverage, changing the focus of that team, maybe changing their fates uh, in the course of the season. It feels to me like it has to be Lionel Messi, uh, including the, t- the size of the deal, everything that went into it, the, the saga behind it, the other parties involved. So that is how I lean, but I leave it to you two, the experts, to agree or disagree with that one. I am, I'm so sick that I created this category and didn't even think about putting Lionel Messi in it. Like, I'm so in the weeds. I have so many issues with my own Correct. inner self <laughs> that I never thought about adding Messi to this category. He is my answer to, to something later down below, but I've got other answers for that one, too. Uh, best transfer, in my opinion, the non-Leo Messi variety, if I'm going to go that way. Wait, is... actually, let me ask you this, Joe, first. Oh, I want to hear oh, that. You We're going to tease that for a moment. Time. Wow. I did. Why did Lionel Messi not occur to you? I, I'm I'm just broken. I think <laughs> he is. No, it's the right I mean, answer, right? It, it's it's absolutely the right answer. If I'd actually thought about it before you got in and, and sort of changed up some categories on us, of course I would put Leo Messi. You come in at this point in the season, the interest that he has captured and the audience that he's captivated. I think since coming in, I guess you can quibble with Major League Soccer and his appearances there versus other competitions, leagues, cup, open cup, whatever. But like, let's not kid ourselves. Messi has been the most fun part of what has happened in Major League Soccer this season. And I think really everybody would admit that outside of a few St. Louis folks, outside of a few Cincinnati folks, and maybe a few other pockets here and there. It, I, th- I think the reason why I ask that, not to continue to put you on the spot, and the answer can just be, I didn't include him, that's why. It's just like, I, I ask because for me, it's such a gigantic transfer that it almost feels like it shouldn't be of the same category or isn't really in the yeah. same stratosphere because it is such a huge name, such a sizable shift in the focus and the coverage and everything else. Uh, but Goss, I'm wondering, would you have put Messi as your best transfer before I added this little distinction? Yeah, I would have. Okay, cool. So we're going to say it's that. <laughs> nice and simple with Goss sounding almost sad and resigned. Now, Joe, who were you going to have as your other best transfer or your original best transfer? The drum has stopped rolling, so I'll just go ahead and say it, it is Daniel 
goalkeeper for the San Jose Earthquakes. This isn't in the weeds pick, but I, I think it's the right pick, although there are others that I will accept as well. I'm excited to hear what Goss has. The background for folks who haven't watched a ton of the San Jose Earthquakes this year, 29-year-old Brazilian keeper. The Quakes signed him from Internacional in Brazil ahead of this season. Goss, I think it was you and me doing something at some point where we talked early on in the year about Carlos Guerrezo being the key signing for San Jose, coming mm-hmm. in as their number six. They get him back in Major League Soccer. He was going to be the anchor. I think we were wrong. Like, Grezo has done some good stuff this year, and he's been good for them in stretches. But the anchor of this team is in goal, in the form of Daniel. He's been massive for them. Berkey has been the best overall shot stopper and the best goalkeeper named Ramon in Major League Soccer this year. But Daniel is the best shot stopper in MLS on a per-90-minute basis. He saved almost four-tenths of a goal per 90 minutes, which is massive, right? Let me sort of make that Thank a little you. clearer <laughs> to people. It's not Georgi Petrovic-level numbers. It's not uh, Georgi Petrovic who went to Chelsea earlier on in this season. It's not quite at his level from last year. But that number of, of about 0.4, I think he's at 0.39, is above a number of the Matt Turner seasons. And we know Matt Turner signed for Arsenal. is not a starter in the Premier League. And is above Andre Blake from the last several seasons in Major League Soccer. I think that should help contextualize folks to understand saving that many goals per game and being this good, this consistently for San Jose, Daniel is the reason why the Quakes are in playoff contention. They're currently 8th in the West. They're fighting for their lives. They would be 12th. They would be 13th in the Western Conference without Daniel in goal. That signing has been massive for them and has kept so much heat off of Luchi Gonzalez. Joe, forgive me. I'm not wearing glasses, so I might need your help with this one. Can you explain <laughs> that, uh, that four-tenths number one more time, what it actually signifies, what that uh, information pertains to? Yeah, so shot. Uh, so data providers will collect uh, data about how difficult shots are to save, right? So if a shot's right down the middle, that's obviously going to be a lot simpler for a goalkeeper to deal with than if a shot's in the upper 90, right? So we, we hear about expected goals, which measures how likely a shot is to go in based off of where the shot is being taken. For goalkeepers, data providers flip it around and look at post-shot expected goals, which is exactly what it sounds like after the ball has been kicked, a post-shot expected goal value of something really, really high, close to one, would be a shot that is like just top bins, like upper 90. It's going to be very, very difficult to save. And the other side of the coin for shots that are easy to save. So goalkeepers get value. They get uh, recognition in this category of post-shot expected goals or goal, goal saved above expected by how they're doing relative to where the shot is going to be on frame. And, and Daniel's been really good in that category. All right, so Joe nominates Danielle, the Brazilian goalkeeper. Goss, I'm assuming that you're sticking with the aforementioned Kevin Cabral, or did you want to go a different way? So I laugh, though, because on Joe's, I kept Carlos Guerreza, and I don't think either is right or wrong. Like, Danielle has been a top, as he said, three goalkeeper. Um, The big storyline here is San Jose is going to concede probably 20 less goals this year than they did last season, and that their attack has dropped, and they're going to make the playoffs because the defense has improved so much. And the only two changes, really, were Grueso and Danielle. They brought in Jonathan Mensah. He's lost his Matthew starting Hoppy spot. Matthew slander, but that's all right. <laughs> yeah, 100%. <laughs> that's where you want to go. It's actually Carlos Acapo slander. Yeah, fair enough. Um, fair enough. And he's been very good, but in possession mainly. But this team, their turnaround this season, if you call it that, and if they don't make the playoffs, I think maybe it'll be become a bit more debatable. But... Right now, they went from the worst defense in the Western Conference to middle of the pack to into that top half, and it's playoff level. It's because of those two guys. 
Danielle, I think, has been more of a standout. Grueso has played more. So Danielle had an injury situation in the middle of the season. I think he's started 19 games, played in 19. Grueso's played in 25. So that's just one of the differences. Um, I probably overvalue sixes, but uh, Grueso's a player that I knew was good. Obviously, starts for Ecuador. Actually thought he struggled at times with FC Dallas. And wasn't sure he was the right move, but it's worked out for San Jose. Wait, so Gus, we do know this was not just best transfer from the San Jose Earthquakes. Right? No, Are that you was the conversation. Grueso right? was legitimately the the answer that you had to that question. Are you? I have five answers to that question. <laughs> okay, Grueso was one of them, and it was the most relevant one to what you said. Okay, all of. And- all of mine are under the Kevin radar ones. Cool. Got it. All right. Sweet. As long as we're staying on track with Kevin Cabral being somewhere in yeah. here, uh, yeah. then, then I'm good to go. So this I, is the weedsiest weeds MLS uh, TSS podcast. I, I went I've in the heard. weeds because I thought Goss wouldn't. But I guess now saying it out loud, how stupid that actually was to think. Well, yeah, 100%. The thing when you said asked about Messi is almost none of the big signings have hit in MLS. Like almost all of the big signings have been failures or were already done. So like Christian Benteke was already signed. In MLS, um, we're going to get into a bunch of busts. And I think there are some like Evander that will, over the next course of the next year or two, be considered great moves, similar to what happened with Lucho Acosta. Of, like, it took a little bit of time. But the big-time moves for most MLS teams have not hit. And most of the teams at the top didn't make big moves. When you look at Columbus, when you look at Philadelphia, when you look at Orlando, like you're not going to put Ojeda in there. You're talking about Facu Torres, who was already brought in. Cartagena already brought in. St. Louis is its own conversation, which we could put most. I mean, you could put the whole team at some point. And so that's one thing. So kind of all of mine are in the weeds. I had Grueso. I have Amin Bossi, who played four times for Mets last year. And Houston was completely hamstrung on salary cap. They could not really add big-time players after Ache Ache last year. Again, a signing that wasn't made this season, so you can't put him in. Bossy's come in. He scored nine goals, a lot penalties, but like he fits what Ben Olsen has built in a big way. He makes the game easier for everyone on that team, and he, it was a bit of an unknown when they brought him in. And the other two are true in the weeds of like, I mean, one's a draft pick, and the other one is an, a former academy player that Vancouver signed out of Toronto and then... Now he's a starter for them. Duncan McGuire, Richie Larea. Is that the double-double there? No, it's Duncan McGuire and Ali Ahmed. Oh, nice, nice. Because Richie, they're going to pay like a DP contract, yeah. which it's a good move. It fits for them, but like not. When when I think of best move, it's like how much pennies did you get on the dollar? Sure, sure. And so these are moves where it's like Ali Ahmed is a full-time starter for the Vancouver Whitecaps, and they gave him a trial when he came back to Canada after like flunking out of the lower divisions of yeah. Portugal. And now he starts in like three different positions for them. And they're probably going to be a top four team in the West. It's good value. It is good value for Vancouver. I feel like we've missed one. And this was the second one on my list. Yogi I think, yeah, that's correct. <laughs> I think yes. this one we've passed over. Yakimakis, I, I think is, is very much in this conversation. Fair. He was the one that I thought of first before going to Daniel. He has been one of the big moves that has absolutely hit. I think it's a fascinating point. Goss that you raised, I haven't thought about it much that a lot of the big signings this year haven't hit. Atlanta, credit to them. You know, the Garth Lagerway effect is very much in place right now. They've hit. They hit on Yakimakis. They it seems like they hit on Saba and, and John De Silva as their two wingers now. Mayumba in midfield looks looks really, really good. But Yakimakis is the star of that group. When you factor in Tiago Almada, he's the second fiddle, obviously, in Atlanta. But 15 goals in just over 1,500 minutes played in Major League Soccer this year. He's absurd. He's so so good. And Atlanta United are not where they are 
pushing up towards maybe third in the Eastern Conference. They're currently fifth, but level on points with the two teams above them. Atlanta aren't where they are without Erling Holland. I don't know. Sorry, Erling Holland. My bad. Without Yakimakis. Big is true. Erling Holland is on my mind because did you guys see the Luca De La Torre clip where I think it was with Football Americas where he was talking about how at Heraclis the fans would call him the Aldi Frankie de Jong. I'm getting blank stares, so I'm assuming (laughs) that you guys did not see that. No, but that's harsh. It seemed like he took it as a compliment, right? But I think Yakimakis is like the the Aldi, (laughs) is the Aldi Erling Holland. Like when you watch this guy play, he's older, I think 28, Yakimakis. But the way he plays is very, very similar. Loves to slash him behind. Still has that speed in the frame that, that if you squint, you could think it is Erling Holland. So good at making those diagonal runs, getting him behind the back line and creating shots for himself in those moments. He's just so, so, so good. He has lived up to the expectations and more for Atlanta this year. I, yeah. I love the Aldi Holland. Uh, I will be calling him that from now on. Thank you for that, Joe. That's the most important uh, takeaway so far from this episode, and there have been many important takeaways. Uh, I'm wondering if we'll have one for best coach. Goss, where are you going with this one? Are we also going San Jose for best coach, since that seems to be where all of our picks are coming from now? <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, I'm going to say the wrong answer first. Well, that's ideal. And then Joe could say the right answer. I'm going to say Wilfred Nance. Nope, that's the right answer. You're wrong. Go uh, ahead. Uh-oh. Well, now we're, now we're two in the weeds, and now we're a show that's broken. Um, so you want to do do Nance, and then I'll do yeah, Carnell sure. I'll, after. I'll do Nance first. I have in my notes, Wilfred Nance, period, by a mile, period. Um, but I am sympathetic to the Bradley Carnell argument that I know you're going to lay out in a moment. Nance has done stuff that no coach in MLS has done uh, ever before, right? The way this team is playing... The, the style that they have, we've seen other possession teams before. I don't think we've ever seen one play this cohesively and this effectively with the ball. So many teams use the ball as a method of control. Columbus use it as a method of control, but also to dominate teams. And they have dominated the best of the best in Major League Soccer. They, they took Cincinnati to task not too long ago. The team that we all agree is the best team in Major League Soccer. Nante comes in from Montreal. Columbus pay a transfer fee because that's how high they value him. He comes in and gets a team that's missed the playoffs two years in a row that was completely uninspiring under Caleb Porter, like just pure mediocrity last year. And he gets them to be a top team in the Eastern Conference. They're currently third. They could finish second. They could finish whatever, right? They're going to make the playoffs and they're going to be a nightmare to deal with. They're an awesome team. They're really, really good. The roster's good, but not as good as some of the other teams in this league, not as good as some teams even above them in the Eastern Conference. But the coaching really seems to be even better for me. He's getting something out of Matan, who was almost shipped out. He's getting something out of Yagaboa on the left side, which I didn't think anybody would be able to do. Steven Moreira has turned into an elite center back in Major League Soccer. Christian Ramirez you know, wasn't at Aberdeen for too long, and now is back in MLS and scoring goals. Amundsen's a lot. I mean, you can keep going through. the. I have a longer list, but I'm going to cut it off, right? You can go through this list. What he's done with Columbus, transforming them into a legitimate superpower in Major League Soccer... I think is just so, so impressive. Uh, Goss, did you have some things you wanted to say about Nance? It sounds like maybe you both were on the same page. Yeah, I think we feel exactly the same. I think one of the things that Joe touched on, which I would emphasize, is just the ability to make something out of the players that were already there. I think soccer is like so simple sometimes of like, you get managers who are like, players, go spend money. MLS 1 doesn't allow you to do that as much. And 2, it's not always true. And so I think similar to what we complimented Pat Noonan for Chelsea last year. would strongly disagree with you. It's working out. <laughs> 100%. And so, but like Nancy has shown an, an ability now on two teams to get the most out of what he has. 
to make things work, to have something that so many coaches talk about, which is like, oh, I have fundamentals and a DNA. We'll change the formation, but we're never going to step away from who we are and how we play. BS. When teams are fighting for playoff spots, when teams are trailing 1-0, when teams are leading 2-1, they always change the way they play. Columbus doesn't do that. I think over the long term, it's going to make them one of the most successful clubs in MLS because you have this thing that you lean into. You can go and acquire talent that's unique to you that maybe you can overvalue than other people. The other thing I'd say is Columbus is not a massive market. You can Google the uh, population if you want to. (laughs) They also have new owners. I I think there's been a sign that they will spend money. It's not always guaranteed. This is one of the things I worry about with some MLS teams is like sometimes you convince the owner to spend. And if it doesn't go well, if you can flip the money and then you can reuse it, fine. But if you don't, there's a decent chance the owner's not going to let you spend at a similar level. So to make the team work with Cucho, to now get the money for Zellerion, to flip onto Diego Rossi, who I think will be there for a little while, um, to get Aiden Morris, I think, to take a step which could lead to your next transfer. And I can tell you all the way down, this is a club that's rebuilt their academy and they are going to move into that conversation of like the Dallas's and the Phillies pretty soon. And a lot of that is because of the confidence that Nancy gives top down one to have a playing style. And two people that work in the academy, players that play in the academy, players that they're recruiting to join the academy, they know they're going to get a chance. Because they know that Nancy gives an opportunity to young players that he thinks are talented. I've heard he's very involved. Top okay. down of play this player in MLS Next Pro. I love. I would love to see him here. How's this kid in the academy doing? Have you thought about shifting positions to this if it fits his skill set? And that's the type of things that are going to make clubs stronger. And I think Columbus has the potential to be like a power club in MLS. And I don't know that a lot of that can happen without Nancy. Well, guys, okay. Even though I agree with everything you just said, now you have to do the Bradley Carnell bit, right? Because if if Nancy is the right answer in my mind and the wrong answer in your mind, but still a worthy person to at least be in this conversation now you now you got to do the other side okay to be clear i put nonsay so i don't know that he's the wrong i said i was gonna put him which i shouldn't but here's the bradley carnell answer building a team from scratch is borderline impossible to do and to do it on a budget that's not atlanta and lafc is unheard of in major league soccer so the last five expansion teams you've got charlotte last year they finished ninth on 42 points Uh, The year before that, you've got Austin, 31 points. They finished 12th in the Western Conference. The year before that, obviously, COVID affects it a lot. But Nashville and Miami, 32 points, 24 points. Nashville finished 7th, I think. Miami finished 10th. Then you go back to 2019. You've got FC Cincinnati, who were historically bad. You've got LAFC before that. And then right before that, you've got Minnesota and Atlanta. St. Louis is going to put up a higher point total than every single one of the teams I just said. This season, and they are not a team that was playing in USL for five years and has a fully formed team that they're bringing in. While they did play in MLS Next Pro last year and use some of the pieces, this is a brand new team. To get 23 players, 11 players who have never played in a high-level game together, to play the way they did five wins out the gate to start this season, and then to be able to build the confidence and depth to be able to handle... An MLS season where Zhao Klaus goes down for almost two months when they said it would be three weeks. When you lose center backs consistently, when you lose Edward Leuven, who becomes your star after Klaus goes down, Joe Akini's now out. To be able to get first place in the Western Conference, no matter what that point total is, to break the expansion points record, they have done things that we didn't know were possible 
They did it in a different way, and it's only possible because of Bradley Carnell. And I talked about Nance leaning into your your style. That's the same for Carnell. So when he has to replace pieces, they're able to do it at a high level because they understand the style. And I've been around Carnell in the past. He's a smart guy. He's a guy that a lot of people value really highly. But this was his first full coaching opportunity. So he's doing it as a rookie coach. He's doing it with an expansion team. He's doing it with a team that didn't spend at a high level. And he's now helped build up that market, which I think will be one of the places to go watch soccer in America for a really long time. How much credit are we giving him for teams early in the season just giving St. Louis goals? Because that that feels like a thing that he would have been involved in somehow. I don't know if there were negotiations or trades involved. (laughs) It was really smart. Right. I mean, it yeah. was smart of him I to set him up credit. his players to allow the other team to pass back to them. Oh, Taylor, uh, I love that. I love that. <laughs> I, I, okay, I have a I have a question about this. Thank you, Joe. Um, there were rumors uh, extra time we're talking about this that uh, different Saudi Arabian clubs were interested in Lutzfan and Steel to come in and sort of run their clubs. Is it would it be more negative for St. Louis to lose Bradley Carnell or Lutzfan and Steel? Uh, Gus, do you want to be the one to tell Tom that Taylor called his reports rumors, or should I, or, or do we want to force? And no, um, I, I honestly illegitimate think, rumors. Go ahead. I honestly think it's too early to tell. I, I genuinely don't have a good answer. I don't have a good feel. I believe a little bit that St. Louis are going to fall back down to earth next year. Mm-hmm. Just bleep that out, Taylor, if you could, in the edit, because I don't want St. Louis fans to hear that, but you guys can know it. Uh, they're overperforming by so Between much. Between this you and Goss some... calling Columbus a small market, I feel like we're going to hear some hear some comments. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's not going to go great I love Columbus as a city, hey, but man, Google the population, man. man. <laughs> <laughs> it's all there, baby. It's all in the pop. Um, it, it's, I think it's just too early to tell. I, I don't have a great feel for who's adding more value. I, I think it might be Bradley Carnell, but I, I just don't okay. know for sure. The reason why I ask is because if I were to pose you the same question about Columbus and they were to lose either yep. uh, Bezbachenko or Nance, which one do you think is a bigger hit? Nance. I-, I think by a mile. You're talking about the 32nd largest media market in America, Columbus, Ohio? <laughs> hey, um, real quick, guys. The bit's dead. I think we beat okay. it to death. Yeah. Uh, so you said Nance? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so as well. Uh, part of that is credit to Tim Bezbachenko. I think he's built a front office with people – who are similar to him, who would take over. Mm-hmm. So, like, he brought over um, Isatol and Corey Ray from Toronto. Isatol was working, I think, at UEFA. And then he's hired Mark Nichols, who was the head of the academy in Seattle, then helped Charlotte put together their team year one. He's been in the U.S. for 25 years. He's pretty highly acclaimed. I think there are people to replace Tim Bezbachenko in a positive way. Like, that's the way you should operate in your job, is that if you left... It would all keep running at a high level. Yeah. Um, I think that's a positive to him. I think Nancy would be the hit. I agree with Joe. I'm not sure yet about St. Louis. Um, on the one hand, I would say there are a number of young coaches that are playing a high-pressing style that probably would be like for like changes for Bradley Carnell. On the other hand, it hasn't worked for Red Bulls to keep the same level. So there is a magic in the right coach at the right time. On the other side, I think there are more options there. I will say this about the Saudi Arabia rumors with Lutz Van Steel. I think there are a lot of rumors around St. Louis. I think Lutz like works in media. So I think if he talks yes, he to does. someone and then they say it, like then it's a rumor yeah. or a report technically, even though he's the one who's sort of pushing that. So I would take that with a grain of salt. That's fair. 
I, I think uh, not that anyone is asking, and I appreciate you all providing the expert uh, analysis here. For me, I, w- I would probably vote Bradley Carnell if asked, mostly because I think Joe and and David, uh, but Joe especially, just so hyped about not say moving to Columbus at the beginning of the season, really confident Joe was in the impact he would have, the changes he could bring. But I think, speaking for myself, I was much more skeptical of St. Louis and their approach and the way they built their roster, uh, the, the slow assemblage of DPs and who those DPs were. Uh, Bradley Carnell being appointed at all, it felt very much like that's their guy until they find their guy, and yet here they are where they are. So I, I think uh, just for how ready I was to write them off, I feel like I, I have to have the chickens come home to roost a little bit in voting for him uh, for best coach, but... I don't get to vote, so it doesn't matter. Uh, Joe, let's do one more category, then let's take a break. The biggest surprise, that could be a team, that could be a player, but what's the biggest surprise for you this season? This is my messy in MLS category. Okay. I-, I think it is that one by a mile for me. Never felt like it was going to happen, despite some some reporting here and there that it yep. was. It still felt like the tide was taking Messi in the other direction. But he's here, and it's wild, and I, I kind of still can't believe it. I'm getting concerned that we're heading towards an anticlimactic end of this saga, at least for this season, right, where Messi doesn't play tomorrow in the U.S. Open Cup final. Maybe Miami lose to NYCFC. I think that's who they've got over the weekend, right? And then just their season kind of fades, and we all stop talking about it because they're not going to make the playoffs, and Messi's not playing anymore. And then we get really, really excited heading into next season. But I hope that doesn't happen for my own selfish entertainment sake. But Messi to MLS is is my answer here. Goss, would you agree or disagree? I disagree because I thought it was more likely, I think, than Joe. Um, I will say it's hit quicker than I expected, but they also overhauled the entire roster. And I'm never surprised when Chris Henderson hits on a signing because he's one of the best at doing that. Um, And obviously Tata has a ton of success. So from a team point of view, I would say the two we talked about, St. Louis and Columbus, Houston would be the big one. Mm-hmm. for me of like, even if I thought Houston was going to get better, I didn't think it would look like this. And I didn't think it'd be this much better there. They made the us open cup final. They're going probably to have a home playoff game this year. They are in the upper echelon top two or three as a possession team, which we've never said ever in Houston Dynamo's history. We've never said it in Ben Olsen's history. So to combine those two things and see the way they're playing. I talked with Amin Basse about how, handicapped they were or hamstrung they were on their salary cap the previous regime signed a lot of long-term contracts that this current group is still trying to work out as they try and bring in the right players so to have the success i think it was six games with shutouts in a row through u.s open cup play so like they were playing in high level games coming out of leaks cup and they were still able to put that up with some players that I, i wouldn't have expected to be a part of something like that um i think the dynamo are the team that surprises me most and then if you were talking about players, there'd be a list of guys on Houston that are in that convo. Corey Baird, probably the top of which, which when he went to LFC, it was like, here it is. This is a guy who reads space well, who isn't a game changer himself, but can be on the end of things. Didn't work out at all for a team that creates a ton of chances. He's reworked himself in his career. He's continued to, I think, take steps. And he did it this year. Um, so he would be at the top of the list as players. And then the entire St. Louis roster. But I would highlight Tim Parker, who there are times in... MLS where I've said he's like a big time signing because having a good American center back is huge. Once he left the Red Bulls, you saw the holes in his game. I thought he actually maybe looked like he took a step back physically. And he, Joachim Nielsen was there, was St. Louis's big signing at center back. He missed the first four months, five months of the season. 
Uh, Tim Parker helped carry that back line to five straight victories to start things off in first place in the Western Conference. I like those shouts. Uh, as a DC United fan, I have not enjoyed this episode between the Lucho Acosta praise and then Ben Olsen turning things around and being a very good coach. Oh, DC United. We could talk fun. Dave Casper out, hashtag. That would be fine. Maybe we'll talk about that in, in biggest uh, disappointment, team or player. <laughs> That's our next category. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll see where we land on that and a few more categories back soon. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to the Total Soccer Show. All right, we've talked about biggest surprise in a positive way. Gus, what is your biggest disappointment, team or player? I'm assuming Toronto will be on someone's list or short list at the very least, but let's see. I'm starting with Shakiri. We can get to Toronto after. You know, this is a player that I thought made a ton of sense. That player who was just outside of the elite playmakers on the clubs he played on, but was clearly elite at the next level, has done it for Switzerland is in the right age, it felt like, to be a guy that could carry an MLS team. And every once in a while, you see a flash, and 
you understand why there's little effort. There's no leadership. I mean, you look at the red card he picked up last week. He basically just laid down on another player because he was not in the mood to continue playing. Um, This is a team that has spent highly and they've spent poorly and it hasn't worked. But I think that starts with your leadership and it starts with the leadership on the field. You talk about Cincinnati like they bombed on a bunch of signings, but you have a Lucho Acosta leading from the front. And I think that carried them to a level of success last year, which then gets the rest of the team confidence, gets the rest of the team bought in and helps you build. There's been no point in Shakiri's time in Chicago where he's been like that. And so I believe he came into the season as the second highest paid player in the league pre-Messi. And there's not a realm in which he's worth a single cent. Wow. That is a compelling argument for Jordan Shakiri is the biggest disappointment of the season. Joe, where did you land on this one? Shakiri is a great answer. I think he is the correct answer on the player side. I have Sebastian Driussi and Brandon Vasquez as honorable mentions in that category as well. But neither one has disappointed in the way that Shakiri has disappointed. My answer, though, was not Shakiri. It wasn't Driussi. It wasn't Brandon Vasquez. It is Toronto. Taylor, you, you led in with it. They could have been special. Like they, they could have been something truly special. They could have been Miami this year or, or darn close to it. Instead, they have been especially bad. Eliminated from playoff contention already. Bottom of the Eastern Conference. Bob Bradley fired. Insigne and Bernadeschi have a combined nine league goals. Nine league goals between those two players. Insigne clearly does not care about being in Toronto based off of what he's doing on the field. Bernadeschi reportedly causing problems behind the scenes. Insigne not out of that category either. They could have been elite. Like, truly, they could have been elite and awesome this season. Winning trophies, winning cups, whatever. And they just haven't been. Between personality clashes and maybe a lack of effort from their stars, they they just have flopped this year about as hard as they possibly could have flopped. You could have scripted this a hundred different ways. I think what has happened this year has been the worst way out of those hundred. So, why, why do you scoff at Bernadeschi? Not scoff, but why did you chuckle at oh, Bernadeschi causing drama behind I scenes? thought Joe was going to start going through the list of like, That's I think a whole he different drove 160 show. miles per hour in the school zone. He's smoking vapes cool. in the locker Gotta room. Gotta teach those kids to run fast, Goss. Yeah, yeah, right. Run fast. Um, I, so I, I laughed in anticipation of Joe just alluding to what he meant with Bernadeschi. Um, with Toronto, I completely agree with you. The frustrating part of this is, and I've said on this show a lot of times, I think the issue in Toronto is Bill Manning. Like Bill Manning at the top of that club, as he's getting more control, the team has gotten worse. He doesn't know soccer. He thinks he knows soccer. A lot of good soccer people have left because they can't work for him. There's actually a pattern of that in the past. When you look at Garth Lagerwey and him at RSL and Lagerwey leaving to go to Seattle, I think Tim Bezbachenko and Garth Lagerwey are like the two elite GMs in MLS. They've both chosen to not work at a club that Bill Manning works at anymore. Both those clubs have gone you know, down in quality since that happened. But I will say... One of the things that's frustrating about this is Insigne and Bernadeschi, maybe they didn't do their homework, they didn't fix it. What's what's odd to me, and I was thinking about it recently, is like Bob Bradley messed up the MLS signings. There's not a ton of data that says signing Matt Hedges. Like, no one else wants to give Matt Hedges a two-year deal. There's not a ton of data that says, like, this guy who's been injured and is a slow center back is going to be good going forward. I think you look at Obviously, his decisions to play Michael Bradley where he plays them, the center forward decisions that they made over the course of the year, Diamande. Uh, there's a spending big at fullback. There's a lot of spots where it felt like I thought 
if Bob Bradley worked within his constraints, he could just make this team at least a playoff team. And I think that's the most frustrating part on top of Bernadeschi and Insigne being two of the five most talented players in this league and being a nothing as Joe described. Since neither of yours really related to transfers and we talked about the best transfer or the most impactful transfer, do you all have a worst transfer or a transfer you liked the least that happened this season? It's, it is difficult. I think there's a long-ish list here. Evander's got to be towards the top. I would need to take another minute to know if he is my actual answer here. Uh, they pay club record transfer fee to bring him in from, from Denmark basically to be Eric Williamson. Unfortunately for them in some ways, and I'm not wishing ill on Eric Williamson, Eric Williamson gets hurt and is out for the season, which opens up an opportunity for Evander to basically be the free eight that Eric Williamson is for them. It was a redundant move, and he has not really raised their ceiling by all that much. I think he's a good player, to be clear. I think he's decent in midfield. I think he has a high upside. I think he does make this team a little bit better, but not nearly as much as you would want from a signing that was billed as highly as he was. Joe, and real quick, you were did you do the Portland preview? Or do you, did we just talk about it? Don't remember. Don't remember. I, I feel like you were skeptical of that of Andrew Moore yeah, from the jump because I think a lot of people pointed to that he was leading. I think it was like the Europa League and the group stage with most assists, assists or whatever, which is just like a ridiculous. It's just so and ridiculous. I think, but I think you also broke it down as like because he got like four in one game when they won like seven to one or something. But like like there were there were it was one of those moves where there were certain stats that kept getting repeated as to why he was going to yeah. be this next big player, and I feel like you correctly, uh, in my opinion, we're sort of skeptical of some of that and, and poured a little bit of cold water on that. And I know I have, I have some Portland supporting friends who were very into him and have slowly moved into a, like, Evander, like all caps and not in a good way, messages. So well, I feel like there has been some frustration with him for sure. And, and it's funny, actually, because even though I, I didn't love that move and I still don't think it was the best move the Timbers could have made in terms of breaking their club record fee, grabbing a DP to, to make them better this year, they have shifted, and we talked about this, I think, on Weekend Review, to more of a 4-3-3 single pivot. I, I love the idea of Evander and Eric Williamson playing together as the free eights and you figuring out the rest kind of around them in that team and maybe Diego Chara feels like he's always going to be around this club. Yep. I think that could be 55. awesome for this team next year if their next permanent manager wants to to actually run that. But, I mean, for this year, given what we knew about Giuseppe Arese coming into it and what we knew about Evander, for folks that watch the tape, like it, it just didn't seem to make a ton of sense. Gus, I'm picking up on context clues from like the way you said I disagree, <laughs> that you disagree and have a different nomination than Evander for most he's, disappointing. He's got nine goals, four assists this year. <laughs> Um, um, yeah, he's probably not the right answer, but he was the first well, one that came to mind for me. So to me, I, there's one thing with some of these MLS signings, which is tough, which is like, I don't know what else they could have gotten for $10 million. So I think it's fair to question breaking your your club record to sign this player. I have stated very clearly, I think it takes time for a lot of players to get comfortable in Major League Soccer. That has shifted, scored two goals in Leagues Cup. They are now sixth in the West. They're one point out of fourth. This is a team that we thought wouldn't make the playoffs. Diego Chara goes down. He has led them over the last month. They are now a team that will potentially host a playoff game after firing Gio Savarese. Also one point out of eighth. Continue. Totally fair. And they've played more games than the teams around them. But they're the only team in that conversation, Joe, that's going in the right direction. Yeah, right. That's they, totally fair. They are, pl- they are surrounded by teams that are treading water at best. And they are surging. So it feels like the way momentum's going, that they're going to move up. I think we talked about this on the show last week, Taylor, of uh, of the way they've trended. Mm-hmm. And I think 
while fair there when, when i made you eat your vegetables i believe that's what we called that one pretty much yeah <laughs> i think that eric williamson's fair he's more of a goal scorer than williamson he's more of a final third creator if they do play together i i think that's an elite strength in major league soccer that you could build it around if not they went on the road and won with santi moreno as a second eight next to him i think paredes has been really good but mainly just like they are playing in a fluid style in possession that we've pretty much never seen, maybe since Caleb Porter. So in 10 years, we haven't seen Portland play like that. So I think when we talk about these busts, like Dante Van Zier, right? Dante yeah, Van Zier answer. got suspended for eight weeks for racism, has scored no goals, was also, I believe, a club record signing or somewhere in that conversation, um, and should have made sense. Like the profile of, he's the same age, I think, as Evander, coming from Belgium, was on the border of that national team at times. Um, and he's been a complete flop. So I think there's an, a, a couple of players that are in that massive flop situation. I think you even go to like the Toronto acquisitions, the number they signed Sean Johnson and and um, Matt Hedges at, what they gave up for Mark Anthony Kay. Petrella. Although I believe that happened last season, so maybe it wouldn't count. Um, I think a lot of those then could be in that convo. Um, but in my mind, I think Evander's showing why you signed him. It takes a little bit of time, but I... I, my joke is I keep calling him 2024 MVP finalist, Evander. <laughs> like, he's moving in that direction. And historically, when players come in, they end a season like that. They start the next season at a similar level. It feels like a good time to move to our final category, which I'm now moving up one level. Because we're talking about next season, players for the future, what might happen, what might change. For you each, what is a team maybe that, like, is like less likely or not likely or already eliminated from the playoffs. Is there a team that you feel like their fans or the fan base should be optimistic for next season, uh, regardless of where they finish, whether or not they scrape into the playoffs or miss entirely? Uh, Gus, why don't you get us going? I'll start with LA Galaxy. They yep. are, they've been a train wreck of a club for about seven years now. Um, Chris Klein is gone, which I think for the fans just alone is like a mental relief. It's like the Wicked Witch is dead. Now, I don't think it fixes everything, but when you look at this season, they were not allowed to bring in designated players and they made smart MLS moves. They brought in Diego Fagundes, um, you know, at the transfer window. I think Edwin Cerrillo is a borderline starting player in MLS. Mark Delgado is going to be there for a little while. It feels like bringing in Will Koontz into the front office on a soccer side, a guy who worked in the front um, in the league office for a while and then worked for LAFC in the front office. They've got some of the ideas out of the MLS 1.0 era, which is where the Galaxy were stuck for a while of like, well, if we can just figure out how to find signs Zlatan, then like it doesn't really matter who plays in the other positions. And it turned out it did matter like a lot over the last few years. And so it hasn't worked a single time. And it feels like now... They're moving in the, the right direction. They won't have any sort of transfer ban on them coming out of this season. Um, the hope is they start to tap into the LA market properly. Jalen Neal being elevated, I think, is a good sign early on. But the Galaxy are the one team, I think, actually maybe the only one outside the playoffs where you can look at it and say, yeah, the way they're playing at the end of the year, the things they've done, the way the club has changed, it all should lead to a positive next year. Yeah, Miami's the other answer, but they almost don't yeah, count in this fair. category, right? So the, the Galaxy are the one that I came back to. I don't feel great about anybody below the line in the East right now outside of Miami. D.C., no. Chicago, Charlotte, Toronto, all no. Red Bull, maybe. I could see them being back above the playoff line next year, but there are deeper problems that we've talked about yeah. on this show in that the past multiple change. times, right? So there are other issues that will limit their ceiling 
but still they're they're good enough and have the backing to at least be a playoff team. But that's not the bar in Major League Soccer. Toronto, I think, is an interesting one because they have shown over and over again a willingness to spend, right? So if they figure out what on earth is going on with Insigne and Bernadeschi and get rid of one or both of those players and Michael Bradley maybe retires, which it seems like is where the river is flowing right now, and there are other changes under John Herdman, I could see them being competitive again, but competitive is not really where this team wants to be. They want to be dominant in the Eastern Conference. So I do come back to the Galaxy over in the West. I don't have a lot of faith in Greg Vanny or Jovan Karofsky to make great moves, and I don't know, I don't have a lot of clarity on where Will Kuntz is, where, where Will, Will Kuntz fits into this equation, right? They bring him over from LAFC, I don't know how much of an impact he's had. I don't know exactly what he's being asked to do. So there are issues there, but they have two DP spots open next year as Chicharito's contract expires, Douglas Costa's contract expires. They should not bring either of those two players back. They should shake Chicharito's hand, look in the eye and say, thank you, you're a club legend for us. And they should let Douglas Costa walk off the back door. But like this, this team will have the roster flexibility to help Ricky Pooch, who is, I think, the best player not named Leo Messi in this league, become a superstar, truly, and to become the player that he should be with actual quality around him. Add a DP winger, or maybe two. If not another DP winger, add a DP central midfielder. Delgado's getting closer and closer to 30. Uh, Brugman's out with a season-ending season ending injury. He's already on the wrong side of 30. And then add a starting caliber center back, and all of a sudden you have a team that is legitimately good enough to compete towards the top of the Western Conference. We're going to pretend that I didn't say they'd already be there this year, and we're just yeah. going to move on and say the Galaxy. Next year's going to be their year. Uh, yeah, on that note, Joe, I can't remember if you had the Galaxy first or second in the West. Nope, I don't stop, think you had the second like bottom. Um, well, I'm, I'm asking I had this. Red Bull second in the East. So. There we go. Well, okay. I think maybe you both have just answered then, because I was going to ask, not in a laminating, haha, gotcha sort of way, but just, is there a team, a player, a move, a whatever that you all feel like you were hyped about at the beginning of the season that you oh, now feel like so you many. just got wrong? So many. I mean, the two teams that I... I struck out on from quality, like thinking they'd be good were Red Bulls and SKC. I thought SKC would bounce back. They haven't. Nothing's changed. I don't know what will change. Giassi Zardes would be the big move that I got completely wrong of like, it made so much sense to me. He's an MLS goal scorer. He's a, you know, he's a presence in the box. He pulls defenders around. He'll make Giussi's life easier. He'll make those wingers like Fagundes even more effective. He might help save Ragoni. He's been a train wreck. The team's been a train wreck. None of it's worked. So those are like the three big ones for me um, that I got wrong. And I think looking back, it's like there was hope in spots and all of that went wrong. And so then they maintained being the team that they probably were going to be. Yeah, I got the Galaxy really wrong. I got St. Louis somehow even wronger than that. So oh, Saint, yeah, me I mean, too. everybody got St. Louis wrong. But St. Louis, the Galaxy, I thought Derek Etienne Jr. would be better than he's been for Atlanta. I thought he would make a lot of sense there. And the fact that Garth went out and got two wingers in this last transfer window says a little bit about how that didn't work, even though the the, the logic behind it was right. And, and he went out and got yeah, one two player players, who's yeah. the same. Yeah. I mean, Johnny Silva, they're, they're both direct. Saba and, and Silva are both super direct vertical kind of players. Saba even more on that right side. So like, it, it made sense, even though it was wrong. And then I also thought Giassi would work in Austin. But I didn't factor in Diego Fagundes crashing back down to earth quite as hard as he had. And that just pushed the tower right on over. So I do feel like I've seen multiple Atlanta United threads about like what are the offseason moves you want to see made? What are some decisions that you think should happen? And it feels like the unanimous number one is buyout Derek Etienne Jr. So, yeah, that has maybe not gone 
swimmingly. Yeah. But we don't want to end on a sad note. We're going to end on an optimistic note. For you both, Joe, starting with you, who's the best young player of the season in your mind? So it, depending on where we draw the line here and MLS's 22 under 22 list. Uh, that They're think- younger. They're at the same age or younger than you. Uh, shoot. Okay. I don't know if I can count Tiago Almada in this list or not. He's the answer, right? Without Googling his birthday, he is the answer 100%. Uh, he is a top two, I think, outfield player in Major League Soccer along with Lucho Acosta. We talked about him at the top of the show. He is just so good and is going to be playing for a lucky European club soon. Very, very soon. It's going to happen and he's going to kill it on the other side of the Atlantic because he is just that good. Uh, he doesn't count, though, for the 22-under-22 list that MLS does. But and he so does I, count for the Young Player of the Year award. Oh, my. No, he literally does. In MLS, there's a Young Player of the Year award, which means you have to be 22 or 23 and under. Whatever. It's one year more. He's the right he's answer. Eligible. He's the right answer, then. The, my backup answer, the one that I had ready if, if Amada wasn't going to count, to give Chicago Fire fans a little bit of hope, it's Chris Brady. I think it's a lot of soup, to be honest, after Almada. No Buck, Juan Mascara. I think Facundo Farias could be the best of this bunch, but we haven't seen quite enough of him yet with Miami. Aviles looks good. Dylan Bur- I mean, you can run through the, the list Weeby style here, but Chris Brady is my answer. 19 from a Chicago suburb, signed as a Chicago homegrown in 2020. Got a little USL League one time, got a little MLS Next Pro time, then takes over for Gaga Slanina, another young goalkeeper when Slanina goes over to Europe. And Brady's been really good. He's been like a top 10, top 12 shot stopper in Major League Soccer. Good frame, good reflexes, has been one of the only good things about the fire this year. I really like Brady, and, and because he's a goalkeeper, he stands out a little bit more from the crowd than kind of the the mush of outfield players that are all good, but maybe not quite great. So I want Brady. All right. Wait, so you nominated Brady? Not well, Tiago Almada? No, no, Almada, if we can count him. If not, it's Chris Brady. I think that's fine. Then it's I think all, you can count him. Disagrees. No, I, I agree. Okay. And he's the obvious answer. You can count him. Um, I think Joe said like the other options. The one I'd add is Jerson Mascara at FC Cincinnati. Similar to goalkeepers, it's rare to see young center backs be a factor in this league. He's been a factor in one of the best defenses in the league. I think Miazga is going to win defender of the year, but there have been games where Miazga wasn't there and the defense is held up. And I think Mascara is a large part of that. Um, I was hoping Melanda would be that guy, but it didn't go right. For him in Charlotte, but I think Mascara, like they're going to do everything. He's on loan. They're going to do everything they can to try and bring him back. I wouldn't be shocked if he was starting full time in a top five team, you know, top five league in Europe um, at this time next year and doesn't come back to Cincinnati. But he's been a huge addition to them. So on top of all the other pieces, I think Joe mentioned he would be the other one I'd add in. Final question, since we've done a superlatives, I just have one more with the games remaining in the season. Who do you feel like is most likely to make it to MLS Cup, to the final. Because uh, sometimes we get the dominant team ends up making it. Sometimes it is that team that just scrapes in but has found the right form, has found the right formation. Uh, we've seen Portland do it in seasons past. Maybe they're one who have figured things out at just the right moment. Is there a team that you all feel like, if you were forced to, with the most confidence, would say, yeah, they'll be in the final? I would go Cincinnati still from the East. Atlanta are really, really tempting right now. Columbus are really, really tempting. Atlanta, I think they're... Goalkeeping situation with Brad Guzan on the other side of the best years of his career. Uh, They've been one of the worst, if not the worst, teams in terms of goalkeeping in MLS. For as good as all their additions have been, I think that will come back to bite them, or at least it could. 
Columbus, I still think they're vulnerable in some of those transition moments. And Cincinnati feel like a team that's capable of exploiting just about any weakness that anybody has. I would go Cincinnati from the East and the West, man. It feels like such a crapshoot right now. But on talent, I still think LAFC are the best team in the league. I think St. Louis are overperforming a bit, and Berkey is going to cool down at some point, even for a minute. And I think that could be the moment that LAFC slide through. But I'm, I am fully ready to look very stupid about that prediction. <laughs> Uh, Goss, are you going to also look stupid with that prediction, or are you going a different way? No, I, I'm probably going to look stupid, too. Um, Wait, which I, you're used to, I'm assuming. Yeah. Okay. It's not a concern of mine. Um, <laughs> I, Buonga's still the best player in the Western Conference. He's still a match winner when he's on. Um, I, I actually think he's probably going to win Golden Boot. Like It feels like he's going to score a couple more goals. Um, they've got a level of experience in moments like this as a team. They don't need the ball to win but they can do it uh, as good as I thought St. Louis played against LAFC head to head. LAFC had more chances on the road at St. Louis. So it, uh, the other thing I'd add, and, and I have no idea on this is we don't know the playoff format. We don't know how it will affect teams. Historically, it's been bad to play a team that has to get into the playoffs. So like when you look at the top two teams in the conferences, they're going to play against the team coming out of an eight, nine playoff game a lot of times that sort of like gets you in a playoff mode and gets you into the mentality. And it depends who that is in the Western Conference. But I don't actually think that's the best matchup for St. Louis in the opening round. And then you've got a team that just has never been in a playoff atmosphere. So I lean LAFC. I would say Seattle, but they've not proven it for a single moment this season that they're going to be that team, which is going to turn it on when they need to. And when it's felt like that's necessary, they haven't been able to. Um, and so there's not another team in the West besides LAFC that you can sort of Put your eggs in the like experience. We'll get them their basket. Uh, and final question, very much on topic to bring us home. David Goss, I've looked it up. What is the population of Beirut? I'm going to say 1.2 million. 2.4 million. Wow. Down, down See, from 22. Now you know the stature of that city. I've always known it's a cultural center of the <laughs> Middle East, but I didn't know that it had that population. I feel like Goss and I have discussed Beirut multiple times off air. So that was yeah. the one I went with. I don't know why. I'm still fascinated by both of you being fascinated by populations. Uh, but I guess a, a person who still appreciates Roman plumbing can't uh, throw stones or shouldn't throw stones because you might break the plumbing. Joe Lowry, thank you for your, your MLS superlatives from the 2023 season that was and still is. Yeah, Taylor, thank you. This has been a, a truly special episode of the Total Soccer Show. I don't know how you mean that. David Goss, thank you for your uh, work today, my friend. Yeah, and congrats to San Jose, St. Louis, and Columbus fans for their private show. <laughs> that we did about their teams congratulations indeed i'm sure they appreciate it i'm sure we'll get no negative comments at all listeners thank you so much for those comments positive and the negative and for listening we'll talk to you again tomorrow